October 23rd. And now as we turn our attention to the New Testament, our reading today will be in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. We'll see that God's grace strengthens us and enables us to be faithful teachers and soldiers, athletes, farmers, workers, vessels, and servants. The world looks on us as evildoers, but we are God's elect, willing to live and die for Jesus Christ. God's grace enables us to overcome our three great enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. God's grace enables us to endure hardship. We fight the Lord's battle so that uh, we do not deny the Lord. It helps us do the work to which we're called, a work that we need not be ashamed of and uh, deal with uh, the problem of people of whom we are not afraid. And with that, let's begin today's reading in the New Testament. October 23rd, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Timothy, my dear son, be strong with the special favor God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach many things, that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Teach these great truths to trustworthy people who are able to pass them on to others. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And as Christ's soldier, do not let yourself become tied up in the affairs of this life. For then you cannot satisfy the one who has enlisted you in his army. Follow the Lord's rules for doing his work just as an athlete either follows the rules or is disqualified and wins no prize. Hard-working farmers are the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will give you understanding in all these things. Never forget that Jesus Christ was a man born into King David's family and that he was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal, but the word of God cannot be chained. I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. This is a true saying. If we die with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind every one of these things, and command them in God's name to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless, and they can ruin those who hear them. Work hard, so God can approve you. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid godless, foolish discussions that lead to more and more ungodliness. This kind of talk spreads like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are examples of this. They have left the path of truth, preaching the lie that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred, and they have undermined the faith of some. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are His, and those who claim they belong to the Lord must turn away from all wickedness. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. 
the expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a utensil God can use for His purpose. Your life will be clean, and you'll be ready for the Master to use you for every good work. Psalm 92, verse 1, through chapter 93, verse 5. It is good to thank the Lord for every day He gives you. As the day begins, you can look ahead by faith and praise Him for His loving kindness. As the day ends, you can look back and praise Him for His faithfulness. It's good to thank the Lord that you are part of what is eternal. You cannot understand eternity, but you can have eternal life through faith in Christ, and you can live for what is eternal. It is even good to thank the Lord for old age. Yeah, in old age, those who live for Christ become fresh, flourishing, fruitful, and faithful. Instead of complaining, they are praising the Lord and witnessing for Him. Psalm 92, verse 1, through chapter 93, verse 5. A psalm to be sung on the Lord's Day. A song. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. It is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning, your faithfulness in the evening, accompanied by the harp and lute and the harmony of the lyre. You thrill me, Lord, with all you have done for me. I sing for joy because of what you have done. O oh Lord, what great miracles you do, and how deep are your thoughts. Only an ignorant person would not know this. Only a fool would not understand it. Although the wicked flourish like weeds and evildoers blossom with success, there is only eternal destruction ahead of them. But you are exalted in the heavens. You, O Lord, continue forever. Your enemies, Lord, will surely perish. All evildoers will be scattered. But you have made me as strong as a wild bull. How refreshed I am by your power! With my own eyes I have seen the downfall of my enemies. With my own ears I have heard the defeat of my wicked opponents. But the godly will flourish like palm trees, and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. For they are transplanted into the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. Even in old age they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. They will declare, The Lord is just. He is my rock. There is nothing but goodness in Him. The Lord is King. He is robed in majesty. Indeed, the Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. Your throne, O Lord, has been established from time immemorial. You yourself, are from the everlasting past. The mighty oceans have roared, O Lord. The mighty oceans roar like thunder. The mighty oceans roar as they pound the shore. But mightier than the violent raging of the seas, mightier than the breakers on the shore, the Lord above is mightier than these. Your royal decrees cannot be changed. The nature of your reign, O Lord, is holiness forever.
Proverbs 26, verses 3 through 5. Guide a horse with a whip, a donkey with a bridle, and a fool with a rod to his back. When arguing with fools, don't answer their foolish arguments, or you will become as foolish as they are. When arguing with fools, be sure to answer their foolish arguments, or they will become wise in their own estimation. Let's talk about how Jesus himself, 2,000 years ago, handled sexual sin. Now, we're taking this from John chapter 8, and you can look at those verses below this video. But first of all, you need to know it's not his sexual sin. Jesus never sinned, so he didn't have any sexual sin. We're talking about how he dealt with it when he was confronted with sexual sin and what exactly he did. And there's five things that you're going to notice Jesus did. Okay, let's just go ahead and read this real quick. I've got it here. It says, as he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, they brought a woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery and they put her in front of the crowd. See, they wanted to kind of make a spectacle of this whole thing. And they said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. We caught her, which makes you wonder a little bit what they were doing. How did they do that? But anyway, it says that the law of Moses says to stone her, And they said, what do you say? See, they were trying to make this big spectacle of this thing, which was not Jesus's heart, you'll notice here. And they were trying to trap him and they were trying to use something against him. They had some ulterior motives there. But Jesus stooped down and rode in the dust with his finger. Okay, so that's the first thing. Jesus paused. He didn't jump to conclusions. He didn't rush. He didn't panic. He stooped. We don't know what he wrote down, but we do know this is he paused. He stopped. He thought, and that's a really good thing to do for you. If, if you know someone that's struggled with some sexual sin, probably the best thing you can do is just to stop and pause. Don't jump to any conclusions. Stop and think and pause. Okay, back to the text. It says that they kept demanding an answer. And so finally he stood up again and he said, all right, but th- let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone So that's number two. He addressed the accusers first. Notice he didn't really even address the woman yet. He was addressing them because in this particular instance, they're the ones that had their own sin to deal with. And he addressed them first. And you can go back and look and see. He stooped back down and he started writing again in the dust. And who knows, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe what he was doing was writing the names of all of the people that those guys had been unfaithful with. Or maybe he was just writing the names of of some of their sins down. You know, greed and anger and jealousy and gossip. Who Who knows what he was writing down? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But we do know that Jesus addressed the accusers even before he addressed the person with that sexual sin. Okay, back to the text. And then it says that the accusers heard this and they all slipped away. They all dropped their stones and they went away because... They weren't without sin, and so they didn't condemn him. And it says that Jesus stood up and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And that's the third thing we see that Jesus did, is Jesus didn't condemn her outright. He didn't start throwing stones at her. He didn't start, you know, throwing these scripture arrows and darts at her. He didn't condemn her, even though she had been caught, even though she, she knew she was, in, she was wrong, she was in sin. So you can see the heart that Jesus had for this woman. And really, that leads to the fourth thing that we see that Jesus is doing here is that he got personal with her. 
He didn't try to address this sexual sin in the context of a crowd. He waited until the crowd was gone, and then he started to talk to her about the sin. This is good for you in your life. If you've got someone in your life that you know is involved in sexual sin, pornography, or whatever else it is, you know, one of the best things that you can do is check the way that you approach it. Don't approach it in a crowd. Don't don't call them out in, in front of all their friends. You know, get one-on-one. This is really more of a mentoring conversation than anything else. That's what Jesus did. But back to the text for our last thing. So Jesus didn't condemn her, but look at what he said at the very end. He said, go and sin no more. So the fifth thing is that Jesus didn't condone her sin. He didn't at the end of the day say, oh, go do whatever you want. Who cares? It's no big deal. No, he said, listen, this was sin. It was wrong. He shouldn't have done it. He called it out in that private way. He showed that he had a heart for her, that he loved her. He hated the sin, though, and he was willing to call a spade a spade. He said, this was sin. Don't do it anymore. Stop it. Stop doing this. And don't forget, guys, if you're helping someone with sexual sin, all these other four things, those are good. Jesus did those things. But don't forget to get to the fifth thing. And the fifth thing is this, don't condone it. Call it what it is and help that person begin to make better choices and live to honor God.